Hey, it's Eric. I just wanted to say thanks for listening and supporting the podcast. If you're listening to this, then I'm going to guess you're interested in nootropics and brain enhancement. Using nootropics are certainly a great way to optimize your mind. But did you know all the neurotransmitters that boost your brain function are actually made in your gut? Serotonin, dopamine, GABA, acetylcholine are all synthesized from gut bacteria. In fact, there's a whole new field of research called psychobiotics that shows us how influential good gut health is to brain health. Unfortunately, so many people are suffering from gut problems in the associated brain fog, depression, anxiety, and neuroinflammation. The good news is that all of this is totally reversible. The number one thing you want to do to start healing your gut is to optimize your body's ability to break down food. Fixing the problem up top makes it easier for your gut further down the GI tract to heal and begin making the neurotransmitters you need. To help you do this, I highly recommend Masszymes from Bioptimizers. This product feeds your upper GI tract the essential enzymes you need to fully break down the carbs, fats, and proteins in the food you eat. As this food breaks down, you can then fully digest the macro and micronutrients you need to boost your nutrition and feed your good gut bacteria, which boosts all the anti-inflammatory functions of your body. Now, I've actually partnered with Masszymes to get listeners of the Holistic Nootropics podcast a free bottle of their product. There's no commitment, no cancellations, just a free trial to show you how effective these enzymes are. Just go to holisticnootropics.com forward slash free enzymes and claim your free bottle. That's holisticnootropics.com forward slash free enzymes and we'll get you all set up. Get those neurotransmitters and boost the power of your brain. Okay, on with the pod. You're listening to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, your home for holistic, evidence-based cognitive enhancement strategies. And now your host, Eric Levi. Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, where we discuss holistic and lifestyle-based cognitive enhancement. My name is Eric. I'm a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. And today on the podcast, I have Sarah Russell. Sarah is a functional nutritional therapy practitioner who works via video calling with clients worldwide, specializing in complex health conditions affecting individuals and families. She has designed programs for nutrition during the preconception, pregnancy, and postpartum periods. Sarah approaches each client's health goals foundationally from a root cause-oriented, bio-individual, and client-centered perspective. You can learn more about Sarah's work and read her blog at Build nurturestore.com, which we'll link to in the show notes. So me and Sarah had a fascinating conversation all about mercury toxicity specifically, but we started getting into a lot of other things pertaining to mineral balance and heavy metal toxicity. And it's such an interesting conversation when I talk to anybody about things like minerals and heavy metals and environmental uh, environmental toxicants because these issues play such a profound role in mental health and cognitive enhancement. You know, we talk so much about nootropics and what nootropics should I take and what supplement should I take for this thing here. 
But a lot of times when you're talking about how do you truly heal, how do you truly optimize your brain, a lot of times what it takes is being an investigator and and asking the hard questions and really going deeper into your own history. And you start to find things through tests like the hair tissue mineral analysis test. You start to find things like heavy metal toxicity. And this is what me and Sarah talked a lot about. We talked a lot about mercury and its devastating effects on the brain and how it's just this self-perpetuating system that once you have it in you, it starts to sabotage so many different foundational functions in your body from your HPA axis to your gut to your overall health to your antioxidant system. So I don't want to spoil it too much. Listen on the podcast because we we talk so much about it. Sarah is a wealth of information, uh, a wealth of knowledge on these on these topics. Now, all the show notes, including links and references to everything we discuss, can be found at holisticnootropics.com forward slash Sarah Russell. If you do enjoy the podcast, please remember to subscribe and leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you uh, listen to this on. Also, if you are new to nootropics or you want to learn more about using supplements, diet, and lifestyle to hack your brain for peak performance, be sure to check out holisticnootropics.com. And with that, everybody, enjoy my chat today with Sarah Russell, thank you for joining me today on the Holistic Nootropics Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. So I'm excited to talk to you today because you're one of the few people I see out there in this holistic health space, really the health space in general, specifically talking about things like heavy metal toxicity, even more specifically mercury. And as a, you know, nutritional therapy practitioner and, and, you know, as part of this journey into the holistic mind body connection, the more that I read about mercury specifically, the more I'm starting to understand how devastating it is to the brain. And really, you know, a major part of the population could potentially be dealing with this toxicity. So I was hoping maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, a little bit about your background and how you got into studying mercury and why you believe it's such a big deal. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for the introduction and and all of that. So I got into... Um, I got deep into the study of mercury toxicity and, and the impact on mercury on mineral status in the body and on general overall health, including brain and nervous system health and mental health. Um, I definitely um, have my own personal journey with mercury toxicity. Um, when I was 18, I, I almost 19, I, I went to the dentist for the first time in like a decade or something like that. I had a lot of cavities and they were all filled with amalgam fillings. I had no idea there was mercury in there. I just, I knew nothing. Uh, and I had a totally conventional Mad Hatter dentist who was totally happy to fill my, my mouth with, with that stuff. I had 12 fillings, some of them quite large. And what I remember from, you know, that summer when, when they were placed... And the transition to my second year in college, I had some significant changes. One of them was I was very anxious. I was depressed. I had I was angry. I had no idea what like where all the anger had come from, and my, the math part of my brain stopped functioning. It was so weird. Um, and and uh, when I was in class, I would sometimes just randomly fall asleep, that which was totally uncharacteristic for me. 
So um, I did not connect that to mercury toxicity until many years later. In the meantime, I got, I had some immune system dysregulation and some autoimmune type um, responses that were just kind of generically diagnosed as fibromyalgia. Then I also developed chronic migraine and retinal degeneration in the form of severe pigmentation in, in my retina that, um, you know, basically the eye doctor told me that I should never drive because my visual field was so damaged. Um, I had some pretty severe sensory integration issues and um, on and off like insomnia type um, on and off cycles of insomnia. Years later, uh, you know, when I went in for follow-up dental work, I slowly started having my amalgam fillings removed and replaced because they had started breaking down. I had a totally conventional dentist. I had no idea how dangerous it was. But slowly but surely, I started getting better as those fillings were removed. And thank goodness, I did not have a strong reaction to um, to the to the mercury that was stirred up temporarily during those removals because some people do have enormous susceptibility. Um, it, and then um, fast forward to um, when to after my nutritional therapy certification, I still was very naive about mercury and, and still not really aware of its centrality in in my health journey. Um, and and uh, then I had an infected um, root canal from a broken tooth that that had cracked three or four years prior during a car accident that I had as a pedestrian. Um, and when when that tooth cracked and and the first holistic dentist I went to told me I needed a root canal, I went down a total rabbit hole of dental care and it opened up a brand new world. I refused a root canal. I went to a different holistic dentist who extracted my tooth. And then uh, I connected with some people in my local area who uh, were involved in grassroots activism and, and research and study on mercury toxicity. And uh, basically the first year out of my certification through the Nutritional Therapy Association, which, um, which I completed in June of 2013, I made a connection with a person who ended up basically mentoring me in mercury toxicity and introducing me to the world of um, mineral balancing and, and the connection between toxic metals and, the, and mineral transport in the body. In the meantime, I realized that I had passed on some of my mercury toxicity from my last two amalgam fillings that were still in my mouth to my uh, youngest child who was still breastfeeding. We also had um, the unfortunate um, occurrence of a broken compact fluorescent light bulb in our house, which was a significant source of mercury toxicity, probably for my son who actually stopped sleeping um, in, the, in the months following the, the, broken, the breaking of this light bulb. And, you know, he was crawling at the time on the carpet. And so he probably got exposed to a lot of mercury vapor. Um, so that was my introduction. Definitely not the funnest of initiations, but very, very instructive nonetheless. Um, so from there, I, I basically ended up uh, taking additional uh, continuing education in the area of mineral balancing and hair test interpretation to, to further deepen my knowledge of, um, of mercury and other toxic metals, as well as synergistic toxicants 
that may not necessarily be toxic in normal doses, but when, you know, like copper, for example, um, mixed mercury and copper toxicity is, is a very gnarly combination that can contribute to oxidative stress in the body and also to uh, physical and mental health issues. So, you know, mercury plus lead is another pretty gnarly combination that can really negatively impact uh, cognitive performance, mental health, and even fertility. Wow. That's, that's quite a bit to unpack. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you know, th- I, I do know a lot of practitioners, you know, who kind of find their route into whatever their niche is because they've dealt with something personally. And it sounds like with mercury, I mean, this has been a constant, you know, feature in your life, whether it's the, uh, the fillings or the exposure in your home. Um, and, I, and I think there's a lot of people who are probably dealing with much of the same. They just don't know it. And they know there's something going on in the body. They know there's some discomfort. And fortunately, you know, you, you have a, you know, a medical background where, you know, you were wise to kind of pick up on that. But, you know, how much, especially since you run these hair mineral tests, you know, how ubiquitous is mercury toxicity combined with these other minerals like copper and, and even lead toxicity? Yeah. So mercury exposure exposure is absolutely ubiquitous. The question isn't if, but how much. Um, so um, we all vary in terms of the uh, in utero exposure that we receive for most of us. That is our initiation into mercury toxicity as being is developing in utero with with a developing nervous system and no cellular defense mechanisms whatsoever. Uh, we rely on our mother's detoxification mechanisms. So if, if we are born to a mother who has amalgam fillings in her mouth or who recently had amalgam fillings removed, keep in mind the half-life of mercury in the brain is 26 years. It's a very, very long half-life. Very very long. Um, So uh, if mercury moves around in the mother's body as, you know, if, 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 um, if your mother, when, when she's pregnant with you has, um, you know, five to six amount of fillings, it's an antitrees gum or grinds your teeth. You're getting about 25 micrograms of mercury per day stirred up in the mother's body through the off gassing just from the amalgams. Add to that, you know, we don't know how much exactly crosses the placenta. And the few studies that have been done on on toxic metals in the placenta have been very, very small. And they have never reported uh, whether or not um, there was a specific toxic exposure load. So we just don't know very much. These are tiny, tiny studies. So there hasn't been a systematic effort. There have been cadaver studies done including uh, brain autopsies um, done in in subjects with amalgam fillings. And so we do know that there is a dose-dependent relationship between, you know, specific um, conditions of uh, neurological and uh, immunological decline and and the number of amalgam fillings in the body. But we, we don't know a huge amount regarding how much mercury crosses the placenta. We just know that babies developing in utero do not have a functioning glutathione system the way that 
that we develop outside of the uterus over time and that they are completely unequipped for this neurotoxicant. So um, there is um, definitely epigenetic toxicity. There have been some good studies published on the epigenetic effect of mercury on um, you, you know mercury exposure histories, both on the part of the father and the mother on the epigenetic expression of the fetus. And, uh, and that definitely is an important consideration as well. So what we do know is that there is an increased incidence of autism and other neurodevelopmental conditions and neuropsychiatric conditions in children whose mothers um, had an ex a mercury exposure history. And, and this does appear to be dose dependent as well. So that the higher the number of maternal amalgam fillings, the higher the risk of the baby developing uh, a neurodevelopmental or neuropsychiatric conditions such as autism spectrum disorder or other issues. If there's also lead and excess copper in the body as you know, in, in late pregnancy, the, the serum levels of copper do get quite high. That is just physiological and normal because copper increases in the, in the blood along with estrogen. So as estrogen increases during pregnancy, so does copper. So if you have mercury present in the mother's body that can you know that can compound with copper to increase oxidative stress i have also seen patterns of miscarriage and infertility even very late miscarriage like 20 weeks halfway through halfway through the pregnancy um, in women um, who have a significant lead exposure history and sometimes they are completely unaware so um it's not just mercury, it is other toxic metals as well. The studies have very well documented the fact that, you know, one toxic metal by itself, which is, it's, it's a little bit of a dream or a fantasy because in real life, we do not just have one toxic metal exposure. Um, it's one thing, we, but you put two or three different toxic metals together and they hugely compound each other's toxicity. So there was a famous snail neuron study that, exposed the snails to, um, I think it was one part per million, just mercury, one part per million, just aluminum, and then a combined one part per million of each. And there was a huge difference. The, 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 the neuron, 100% of the snail neurons died in the combined mercury and aluminum group, uh, whereas there was a much lower percentage of neuron death in, uh, in just one or just the other. So... Um, we're dealing with a situation of compounded synergistic toxicities um, that that can really affect both, you know, overall function, nutrient status in the body, and definitely brain and nervous system health. And this is a thing I think about a lot, which is just the sheer amount of toxic metals that we're exposed to on a daily basis, you know, um, especially something like aluminum or lead, or cadmium, or any any of these different metals, because they're just kind of in our environment. I know, especially with something like aluminum, that's in so many different beauty products. It's in deodorant. Um, you know, not to mention uh, if you're drinking soda out of an aluminum can, or you know, people like to wrap you know food in in, in aluminum um, wrapping and all these different things. Does tin foil have? No, tin foil would have tin. Um, I don't know if it has aluminum, but I know aluminum exposure is, is, is very, very prevalent. Lead exposure is just kind of there. And then you have mercury, which, I mean, they're literally putting in your body. So, I mean, this is, this is a huge issue that, 
you know, when we talk about, uh, when we talk about especially neurological issues, and we're talking about things like anxiety, depression, even not even going as far as autism, but, you know, we forget just how much of these metals are going on. And then if you put mercury in the pot, it almost seems like mercury, you know, if you start putting all of these different uh, metals into a cooking pot, it's almost like mercury is the heat that starts to make everything bubble up. Oh yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a catalyst of destruction in the body for sure. Yeah. Um, and one of the, one of the reasons for that is that mercury impairs the production of glutathione which is the most important um, antioxidant in the body. So it, it sort of incapacitates the detoxification of itself, mercury, along with other toxic substances. So it's, it's very dramatic. It, it depletes nutrient function in the body in, in a way that is, it's slightly different for different people. Um, but it, it's known to, you know, it, it is... <laughs> One, one term that I coined along with a colleague, we, we wrote a paper together entitled Mercury, the Quintessential Anti-Nutrient. And it literally is, you know, really should be thought about as um, an anti-nutrient because it, it really depletes nutrient stores in the body, incapacitating the enzyme systems that are driven by nutrients. And it also impairs the, the communication along the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. So it can make uh, communication from the hypothalamus and pituitary down to the thyroid or down to the adrenal glands or down to, um, you know, even just the signals for the production of stomach acid. Um, it can make all of that really difficult. It also destroys barriers. So cell membrane, uh, the, the gut barrier and the blood brain barrier, which of course then makes the brain more susceptible to, um, to neurotoxicants including uh, mercury that, that enter from the bloodstream into the brain. Um, it's really easy for mercury to get into the brain because it is lipophilic um, and it's really hard for the mercury to get out of the brain. Um, mercury also tends to accumulate in thyroid tissue. I have seen a lot of mercury toxicity in uh, clients with Hashimoto's thyroiditis and um, I've, you know, just even taking histories, it's so incredible how many of them are, um, you know, had a childhood exposure to mercury, for example, from their father's dental office or their mother's uh, prior mercury history. So one, um, one hypothesis is that there is a direct correlation between the depletion of um, glutathione, which is the antioxidant that helps um, that helps um, anti that helps contrast the oxidation of thyroid peroxidase and the activation of the antiperoxidase antibodies. So this is an, an interesting and very compelling hypothesis that that I came across through a training in, through the Metabolic Healing Institute. Um, so it is, you know, this, I'm definitely not the only practitioner and clinician who has seen it. A correlation between mercury exposure, mercury toxicity, and um, autoimmune thyroid disease. It's very rampant for sure. So if I hear you right, what you're saying is in terms of Hashimoto's, because Hashimoto's technically would be um, elevated thyroid antibodies. Is that correct? So what yeah, mercury is so doing is mercury is inhibiting the enzyme that neutralizes those antibodies? Pretty much the the... The antioxidant 
that would help re that would help reduce the oxidative stress from the thyroid peroxidase. Got you. I, I may not be explaining that completely right, but no, no. I think I think yeah. you're explaining it right. It's um, it's a lot of big words that I have to try to <laughs> yeah. let my brain <laughs> uh, process. But but I, I understand what you're saying. Basically, mercury exacerbates the problems that come with Hashimoto's, which is a yeah. huge problem that I know mostly women deal with. But I mean, there's plenty of guys who deal with um, thyroid issues as well. And, you know, one thing that I notice, especially in the mental health space is so many instances of depression or even something like chronic fatigue, um, you know, they get, they get diagnosed as depression and chronic fatigue, but really a lot of times it comes back to hypothyroidism and, and issues with the thyroid specifically. Sure. Yeah. And then you have to wonder what was the root cause of that thyroid dysfunction. You just have to keep following the root. Yeah, and, you know, it's like it's almost like being underground and following a trail from from one route to the next. Yeah, until you and that's just a question you have to ask, you know. And and it seems like you, as a practitioner, ask that question, which is digging into a person's mercury exposure. And and I'm sure you could you could find this on a hair tissue mineral analysis where you could say, well, you have elevated mercury, and then you have these symptoms of you know depression or or chronic fatigue or whatever it is. Um, you know, there there's a pretty probably a substantial link between those two. And then you're also saying that it can, it can um, sabotage the communication between the HPA axis, which is another major um, neurological pathway, you know, in terms of um, creating problems with stress, with anxiety um, that you see a lot in the mental health space as well. And a lot of people are taking a lot of different, you know, be it pharmaceuticals or, or different supplements to try to figure out how do I, how do I calm my stress response? How do I calm? And then, you know, there's all these different things, you know, uh, lower your blood sugar, do meditation yoga. But a lot of times, you know, it could be again, going digging way deep into your mercury exposure and seeing that, no, you actually have this, this metal that is, physically sabotaging the whole process. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of anxiety, depression, insomnia, um, overwhelm, lack of resilience, even, you know, even things that get diagnosed as post-traumatic stress disorder can definitely have a heavy metal component. I have seen mixed mercury and copper uh, toxicity in people who have a diagnosis, for example, of bipolar mood disorder. Um, it's, it's really, really interesting. Um, and, you know, sometimes mercury will not even show up elevated in a hair test. And, and those are the people that we worry about the most, actually. Those are the people who have really high mercury levels and the people who have really low mercury levels in their hair. Um, in fact, autistic children almost invariably have less than, eight, than 0 0.08 parts per million of mercury in their hair. Basically, you, it, it, you would be hard-pressed to find somebody with, mercury, with hair mercury excretion that low who is not autistic. Um, and is that because yeah, it's the tissues holding on to the mercury? Yeah, it's an inability to detoxify the heavy metals because of impaired antioxidant status. Wow. So you, to, to kind of play off this... Off the off the hair mineral tissue analysis, you, you're talking a lot about copper, and copper is so fascinating to me because you know it's it's one of these um, it's one of these minerals 
uh, where it's, it's either toxic or it's deficient. And there's really like a Goldilocks zone. So maybe you can explain a little bit because it seems like this interplay of copper and mercury is, is really the smoking gun more than anything. And then you throw lead in there and you throw these other metals, but it seems like when you're, what you're the, the common thread you're seeing is the interplay of copper and mercury. So maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, copper, you know, people's exposure to copper and, and kind of what you're looking for as far as, is it toxic? Is it deficient? You know, explain a little bit about this copper element. Sure. So copper is, is a really fascinating element because you can actually be both deficient and toxic in copper at the same time. Um, and that's the real ripoff of, of the whole uh, package there because um, you, it, it really has to do with how the transport enzymes are working. Um, so for example, um, if, if you have proper adequate intake of copper, but you, you're not producing enough ceruloplasmin or maintaining sufficient levels of ceruloplasmin, you can have a lot of unbound copper in your blood that goes rogue. It has been described as sort of a Jekyll and Hyde kind of phenomenon. So you, you could have insufficient um, transported, properly bound copper that is not oxidized to help cross-link your collagen to, you know, to help support good connective tissue function, to help support balanced immune system health. We need good zinc and copper balance for all of these things. Um, and, and then, you know, also for good hormonal balance, um, we also need healthy levels of copper. But if too, if, if too much of your copper is oxidized in your body, even if your total copper is normal or even low, you could have copper toxicity through an excess of oxidized copper that can definitely mess with your brain. So the, the typical kind of pattern would be just, it's, it's described as wired and tired, um, just like people whose brains go a mile a minute, but their bodies just totally do not want to do anything extreme. And, and this is not obviously specific. So, you know, if you hear a pattern being described as, you know, matching up with a specific heavy metal toxicity, if you're listening to this, to this podcast recording, uh, don't assume that this is the cause because all of these things are, they're not necessarily specific or unique to either mercury or copper or combined mercury copper toxicity pattern. There could be so other what is the, what, what, is, what is the biggest way then that opera, uh, copper becomes oxidized? Well, if, if not enough of it is properly transported on ceruloplasmin, then you just sort of have copper hanging out in, in the blood and it, mm. it gets oxidized or, you know, rusty if you, if you, uh, you know, just to simplify. Um, that can definitely happen, you know, due to insufficient antioxidant status in the body. So you're more susceptible to that. If, um, if you already have high levels of mercury impairing your glutathione production and recycling ability. Yeah. And I've, and I've heard this concept before of, you know, uh, uh, the importance of ceruloplasmin, right? Because that's really the transporter essentially moving around things like copper and iron. And, you know, a lot of times this is, this is the mistake of people in the supplement world, you know, where they say, uh, like, for instance, something like iron, you know, they say, well, your iron's low. And so what do people do? They start supplementing with iron, right? Yeah. And really that's the worst thing you can do as far as I'm concerned, because supplemental iron, uh, it's not 
technically bioavailable iron. And sometimes what it takes is actually going back to the actual, maybe there's a breakdown in your transporter, which is what it sounds like you're saying, which is in terms of copper, it's not that you have too much or too little copper. It's just that the copper is not getting to where it needs to go. So, yeah. so what exactly, maybe you can kind of explain better than I can, but, but why, what is ceruloplasmin and why is it so important? Well, you know, it's, it's I, I wish I, I, I could be a little bit more detailed and accurate, but it, just think of it as like a boat or a car that is designed to contain and transport copper. Um, that is, I think, the, the best way that I can explain it right now. Um, sure. It's almost like, so, you know, if you don't have enough of your copper bound to, to the transport molecule, it's almost like having a business and you have, you know, 20 employees, but they're not properly trained and they don't really know what to do. So they're sort of going rogue and, you know, your business is collapsing because they, they literally have no structure. So um, it's not that you have too many uh, employees. It just, they just aren't doing what they're supposed to do because they don't have the proper guidance and support. And this sounds like it kind of comes back. Does this does this also play into the antioxidant status as well? Like your like your glutathione status can directly affect your, because I've heard it's also something uh, having to do with with uh, retinol, like with vitamin A, um, can help build ceruloplasm, plasmin. Yes. So vitamin A, vitamin E, and vitamin C are really important vitamin. Um, you know, really important vitamin sources of antioxidants in the body. Um, as in, in addition, zinc is a, is a really great antioxidant. Um, you, of course, do not want to improperly supplement with these. And I always recommend whole food sources before experimenting or tinkering with supplements because sometimes even a supplement that you might need, if, if you time it wrong or you dose it wrong, it can, it can definitely backfire. Yeah, that, that's a thing people, you know, especially now we're in, we're in coronavirus time, everyone's hearing about, you know, zinc and vitamin D and everyone's running out and getting ample amounts of these things. But, you know, as a mineral specialist, you probably know, and you just kind of alluded to, it's like, you don't just want to just start throwing zinc around because all of these things work in ratios. And, and you know, I don't know the exact mechanism or reason why, but maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, zinc toxicity and, and why zinc is so important to to get from whole foods versus just simply supplementing it? Well, yeah. Um, well, we get zinc mostly from our animal foods where it's most bioavailable. There is zinc in, in plant foods, but it's a lot harder for us to extract and absorb it from plant foods. Um, <clears throat> I've definitely noticed by tracking my own nutrient intake um, that even eating a diet that is, you know, moderately abundant in animal foods that I, many days I'm not meeting my, my zinc requirements. So I do modest zinc supplementation based on, on my sort of day-to-day -day zinc intake from whole foods. I, that is an area that I monitor um, in, in my own health situation because it, it is an important mineral. And I, I, once, uh, I once supplemented with what I thought were modest doses of zinc in a moment where my body was obviously not equipped to handle it. And I, I actually had um, some hematological and immunological consequences from that. I, I would, well, I was doing a couple of other things too. I was taking um, low-dose uh, alpha-lipoic acid as, um, as an antioxidant support. 
um, which I don't recommend, by the way, um, if you have a history of mercury exposure. Um, and uh, I was taking 15 milligrams of zinc. And I was taking, I think, something like 1,000 IUs of vitamin D in addition to magnesium and vitamin C, which I had already been taking. So my immune system totally crashed. And wow. um, I, I went to the doctor um, with my lab tests in hand and she looked at me and she said, Sarah, are you feeling okay? Did you ride here on your bike? Are you okay? I was like, yeah, of course I broke on my bike. I don't have any other form of transportation. And she was like, gosh, I'm so worried about you. And she handed me my lab form and it, there was the white blood count line and, and the neutrophils line and they were both in red and it said alarm and nothing had ever happened. Like I'd never seen anything like that before. My immune system was completely suppressed and I had to have a bone marrow biopsy. I, I had repeated bacterial infections. I literally still don't know if it was the, you know, if it was the too much for me or too, you know, wrong timing for me, zinc supplementation, or if it was just too much vitamin D for me, which I mean, a thousand IUs per day, that does not sound like a lot, right? But, um, or the alpha lipoic acid or some combination, but like, this is a classic example of improper supplementation. This is back in uh, 2014. It can backfire, even if it seems very bland and, and very kind of, you know, conservative, because I didn't think I was doing anything crazy, but it was totally crazy for my immune system at the time. Yeah, this is uh, this is this is the stuff that drives me crazy, and it's such a great example that you highlighted, which is you're doing you're taking these nutrients that you know it's you can look anywhere online, you can look in in very reputable you know health blogs and listen to, and listen to you know doctors talk, and they'll tell you take vitamin D, take zinc, um, you know take alpha lipoic acid, but what they don't tell you is how these things actually work. It's just kind of a, you know, a given like, well, if I take these things and it's going to help my immune system. And I've heard from so many big platforms, by the way, you know, uh, encouraging people to take these exact things, you know, yeah. 5,000 IUs of vitamin D, uh, you know, high dose zinc, uh, especially during this time of the coronavirus. And to hear that it had that effect on you where it actually suppressed your immune system. And that's the thing we're, we're missing too, is we're, we keep saying we got to boost the immune system, right? Which is to me, a fundamental misunderstanding of how the immune system works in the first yeah. place, because that's where your problems come from when you boost the immune system. So you were saying you had hematological issues. Um, is that because there is a, a balance that happens between something like zinc and iron? Well, I think in my case, it was more zinc and copper, possibly. Um, I certainly, you know, in, in my hair mineral tests, I definitely had a longstanding pattern. I, did, I ran my first hair mineral test. I think it was February of 2014. Um, and for the first four and a half years of running hair mineral tests um, a couple times a year, there was a, a longstanding pattern suggest very strongly suggestive of hidden copper toxicity. I had a pretty high zinc to copper ratio, which is actually, you know, that in my case, it had a lot to do with zinc uh, loss um, through over excretion. And, uh, you know, it's called zinc wasting. It's very common for people with a history of mercury toxicity. And um, I, I was just not properly using copper in my body. And it took me, um, 
it took me several years of just slow, patient work after my initial bunked attempt that, you know, what I thought was a conservative supplementation protocol that was appropriate to my situation. It totally wasn't a great lesson learned um, after, you know, a good seven months of severe immunosuppression uh, with <laughs> a very serious life-threatening infection um, for which I was hospitalized with sepsis. Uh, and, um, you know, great learning experience for sure on, you know, slow and steady bioindividual work and lots of patience. I completely reversed um, my retinal degeneration. Um, <laughs> I had two conditions affecting my, um, my vision severely, um, which I, I believe were directly linked to a pattern of combined mercury and copper issues. Um, which reversed in concomitance with a normalization of my of my copper transport on, per my hair tests. So um, I I was diagnosed in in my mid twenties with retinitis pigmentosa, and I, I had the eye doctor telling me that I should never drive, and that I had serious visual field deficits, and that my retina was basically um, full of holes. Um, and that I would eventually go blind. And then I was diagnosed in my late 30s with bilateral macular degeneration. And I, I completely reversed the macular degeneration. And my retinitis pigmentosa reversed to the extent that my retinal specialist sat me down and she said, look, you need to tell me what you've been doing because my entire training and clinical experience tell me that what I'm seeing in you is impossible. And I, I told her, I, I removed my amalgam fillings. I rebalanced my mineral status. I, I worked on rebalancing my copper. I completely removed gluten from my diet. And I'm just eating lots of whole foods that are good sources of, of uh, the nutrients that support eye health. I literally didn't even have it on my radar that my vision health could improve because I have a serious family history of uh, retinal degeneration and, um, you know, just progression into blindness. So I just literally believed it when, when I was told this was my genetic destiny. And wow. one thing that I learned by, by doing hair tests across the generations of my family um, was really enlightening because um, now I'm, I'm, missing, I'm missing one generation because my mom has never done a hair test. But um, when my grandmother, bless her heart, did a hair test when she was 89, um, she had the same exact pattern of copper dysregulation that I had. And I, I took a history from her and she said, yes, honey, I, when I, in the 1940s, in, in the years leading up to your mom's birth, I lived in, in a small town that had a copper and uranium mine. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> this answers Whoa. all of my questions. <laughs> yeah. So that's so amazing. It, it is trippy. Yeah. And she literally never thought that it had anything to do with her health or, you know, my mom's health. We have a family history of connective tissue disorder and the copper, proper copper function is so important to good connective tissue health. Um, so, you know, probably there was some weak genetic terrain, but certainly, you know, a mixed pattern of mercury and, and copper 
this mercury toxicity and copper dysregulation can can hugely uh, worsen this type of pattern. Well, I, and you also said something too in there where you said you stopped eating gluten, which I would imagine I'm just shooting it out there, but it sounds like the the benefit of that was you probably fixed some leaky gut issues, so your, oh, your yeah. gut started absorbing these these minerals better to help balance the whole thing. Yeah, out. yeah, absolutely. I I really believe it was an important part of removing inflammation uh, from the barriers from the digestive barrier. Yeah, because that inflammation, you know, especially if you're talking about copper being oxidized, um, I mean, what more can oxidize something in your body than than oxidative stress from inflammation, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's just hugely stressful for the body and it depletes nutrients and it impairs your ability to absorb and it can impact, you know, even even your mental health because if, if your nervous system is just always... Um, overstimulated in, in the way that it can be with, with these patterns of, of toxicity, you're just constantly in, in sympathetic fight or flight mode. And, um, and you just never rest. Your, your body is in a constant state of cellular danger response. And that's just not a state where you're really absorbing and assimilating nutrients and healing tissue. I mean, that's the crazy thing about this whole thing that you said is, is all of these parts, you know, that, that you're telling me that mercury can affect your, your HPA axis, your gut, uh, your, uh, your ability to make stomach acid, you know? Um, I mean, these are important, like you said, that are just going to be self-perpetuating mechanisms. Like you just said, if you can't, if you can't control your HPA axis, you can never turn off your fight or flight, which means you can never stop cortisol from essentially disrupting all of these other processes, which keep you in a constant state of oxidative stress and inflammation. If you can't make stomach acid, then you can't, you, you can't break down food properly. You're going to get more leaky gut. You're not going to be able to absorb the nutrients that could balance your copper, which means this problem just keeps getting worse and worse. And not to mention it depletes your glutathione. So you can't even make the antioxidant to help you get rid of this thing in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite the downward spiral, but the good news is that by addressing it, you know, by understanding it and addressing it properly, there are huge margins for incredible improvement. I mean, I literally could never have even imagined some of the positive health changes that I've had over the years. It did not happen overnight. It really didn't. But, um, you know, when I think back to my health journey, you know, even just in the past five to seven years. It's just amazing and almost overwhelming to think how far I've come. So let's get into that then. You know, somebody's listening to this and they're they're sitting there thinking, I've got I, I think I might have I think I might have mercury toxicity. I have the fillings. I have these exposures. Um, you know what does somebody do? Where does somebody start to to, to start to address this, I, you know, maybe they don't have access. And granted, if anybody wants access to, you know, a, a hair, a hair mineral tissue analysis, we'll put Sarah's uh, information in the show notes so you can contact her if you want to contact her as a practitioner. I run the hair mineral uh, tissue analysis. There's plenty of practitioners who do, so there's plenty of resources. But somebody's thinking, 
you know, they don't want to go that route. They want to start to address this alone. Now you said, I know the first place I go is alpha lipoic acid, 200 milligrams can start to, um, can start to rid mercury of the brain. And by the way, I know there's different kinds of mercury that we didn't even get into. Um, so, so real quick, if you can just address, you know, the, the different types of mercury and then where you would start to address it and why you think alpha lipoic acid is not a good reason or not a good method to, um, to get at this problem. Well, um, that's, I just that's threw a, a lot at you. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot to unpack. Um, essentially, you know, once mercury enters your body, it doesn't, it doesn't hugely matter what form it originally was in, it gets, it gets oxidized and taken up into the cells. So, um, it, you know, mercury that I think that the route of exposure is more important than the form of mercury. Mm-hmm. So for example, you have more, uh, ability to detoxify mercury when it comes into your body through the, through the gut. So mercury from fish is probably easier for most people to detoxify than mercury that you breathe in in vapor form or mercury that is injected in the form of ethyl mercury in a vaccine uh, because you have fewer defense mechanisms. Now, unless your, your defense mechanisms in, in, in the gut, in, in the form primarily of metallothionine enzymes, which by the way are driven by copper and zinc, um, which can both be depleted and antagonized by mercury, but usually zinc is more depleted than copper by mercury. Um, you know, once, once you absorb mercury, it's basically methylated in the body and, and then it's just stored. Your, your body, wants, the half-life in the blood is very short because it's so toxic that your body just takes it away wherever it can. And a lot of mercury goes to the brain because it's lipophilic. The brain is, is full, of, um, full of fat so the nervous system ends up taking a huge hit. Um, and when you move mercury around in the body, yeah, I mean, there, there probably are situations where the, the proper targeted use of alpha lipoic acid is beneficial to people, but I really do think this needs to be done with professional experience guidance. There are different protocols. Um, there are concerns that have been voiced about um, keeping the levels of alpha lipoic acid in the blood stable. So it's half-life, um, is about give or take three hours during waking uh, waking hours and about four hours during the nighttime. So um, if you have a faster metabolism, it could be a little bit shorter of a half life in your body. And if you have a slower metabolism, it could be a little bit longer than that in your body. Um, but people who are taking uh, alpha lipoic acid in in low frequent doses definitely notice if. You know, like some people will say, you know, at exactly at two hours and 46 minutes, I would start to get a headache. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I was, I was behind. Um, so essentially keep the idea in the frequent low dose chelation view is, is to use lower doses. So over the course of a day, you could be taking, you know, that 200 or 400 a day milligrams total but you're not doing it in just one or two doses. You're doing it in, in nine or 10 doses divided throughout the day in equal parts, which I do believe is probably safer. By the way, that is what I was doing. I was taking frequent low doses, being very careful. Um, 
and yet I still had negative effects. So my body may not have been ready. I don't exclude the possibility of someday going back to alpha lipoic acid. I'm I'm not um, uh, I'm not opposed to the idea, and I do think it has a lot of potential. But I I literally am studying the the um, the mechanisms of alpha lipoic acid in the body um, because I um, you know I think that it's important to understand because it is such a complex and rich uh, supplement because it has um, antioxidant qualities it has neuroprotective qualities it has the the ability to help you regenerate and produce glutathione um, it can help with blood glucose control it can do a lot of really good things but I do think that it that it is important to understand its mechanisms of action in the body, the way it interacts with other nutrients and any individual contraindications or precautions that we should be aware of. In my case, I was definitely missing something. I'm, I'm actually interested in studying the stuff. I'm, I have um, a, a pretty chunky multi hundred page uh, little like college reader type thing, spiral bound uh, collection of articles that I have uh, printed up on alpha lipoic acid, and I am planning to write a scientific article on it along with a small team of people because I do think it's really important to sort of collate and gather together the mechanisms of action and just help educate the public on the benefits and, and the proper bioindividual use in in a framework of caution. So I'm not really uh, discouraging people outright from using it. I think it has enormous potential, but I do think that it really does need to be bio-individually adapted in terms of timing and the person and the dose and the, and the frequency and all of that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, again, it just goes back to the whole idea, you know, that we were talking about earlier in regards to even zinc and vitamin D that even though it's an antioxidant, even though it has, you know, great properties and detoxifying properties, you know, depending on the person, it needs to be used responsibly. And they, these are powerful substances. And this is what I talk about all the time on this podcast, you know, with holistic nootropics, which is, you know, nootropics too are powerful and they can definitely have benefits. But if one thing is not necessarily good, one thing is good for somebody is not necessarily good for everybody. And you have to really know your own bio individuality and your own needs. So um, there's so many different you know, routes we can take this conversation. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, this has been such an interesting conversation. We've covered so much. I know, uh, you know, if anything else, this has brought me to even more questions I have about Mercury, which is really the whole idea of these podcasts. So, um, Sarah, I definitely thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Um, before we sign off, is there anywhere that you'd like to direct anybody listening or anybody watching to find out more information about you? Sure. You know, the easiest is, is my main website, buildnurturerestore.com. Um, and if, if you look, if you kind of, you know, play around on the website, you'll see that there is under the um, restore section, which is the, the section of the website dedicated to complex chronic illness, you'll find uh, my compilation of resources that I put together on Mercury, including uh, an article and, and a YouTube video presentation. Um, which explains many of the things that I talked about in, in some depth and detail. So uh, I think that's really the best way to, to find out more and, um, and, and to learn more about me and my approach. Yeah. And it's a great website. Lots of amazing resources. I've checked it out myself. Uh, you do have that good video that you did at, I believe it was the Silicon Valley uh, Health Institute. 
yeah. which is uh, which is fantastic. So uh, to learn more about Sarah, be sure to check out her site. We'll put all of uh, the resources that she mentioned and I mentioned in the show notes today. You can check that out at holisticnootropics.com forward slash Sarah Russell. And with that, Sarah, thank you for joining me today on the podcast. I wish you all the best. And viewer, listener, thank you for listening today. Uh, for more on all things nootropics, including all the scientific references and everything you can think of about nootropics, be sure to check out holisticnootropics.com. We'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. Thanks for listening. For more brain-boosting info, in-depth articles, and show notes, check out holisticnootropics.com.